Hello, welcome to the Stone Cold Sober Podcast, the podcast where we dive into the experiences of addicts living in active addiction and recovery and try to share a message of hope to people seeking recovery, gaining knowledge, or just want to hang out for the duration of each episode. I am your host, Sean Artis, and welcome to Stone Cold Sober. episode episode two this one is called living in a drug-induced psychosis um what is psychosis all right let's take a quick google search um my computer randomly goes to bing so bing says psychosis is a mental disorder characterized by disconnection from reality which results in strange behavior often accompanied by perception of stimuli like voices images sensations and other hallucinations um it says it's very rare fewer than 1,000 cases per year in canada um treatment is advised from a medical professional uh, can last several years or be lifelong. Oh, God, that would be scary. Common for ages 18 to 35. Uh, family history may incre- increase likelihood. Um, some disconnections from reality that people have are delusions, um, hallucinations, talking incomprehensibly, and disturbance. I don't know what disturbance means. Disturbance in the force. Okay, so I'm going to talk about my experience with living in a drug-induced psychosis. So I I mentioned in the first episode of my story, an overview, that um, it it started from, sorry, its onset started with um, me smoking meth. And what happened was I I did that with some friends. And uh, I remember um, it was, I don't know, it started as a regular day. And within an hour of me starting that, everything changed really quickly. For some reason, my, my thought patterns became very paranoid and, um, I, I was concerned about a lot of things that had never really crossed my mind before. Um, prior to this, I mean, I was always into like conspiracy theories and I thought a lot of cool, um, YouTube videos had some kind of like credence to them. So I was always kind of into like different things like, I don't know, like the JFK conspiracy or the moon landing. Um, it's kind of the popular ones that cycle the internet. Some not so popular ones also like um, different theories of aliens or angels or demonic entities and stuff like that. <laughs> so um, th- those started to become kind of real to me. I guess they were in the back of the, my mind and this drug kind of started taking over and I became very paranoid about um, different things. Um, mostly, mine kind of revolved around the devil and government conspiracies that were <clears throat> revolving around me. So all, all of a sudden, this the day turned into night, and I was very aware, or not aware, I was, I was hypersensitive to the fact that there were people around me. <clears throat> Something happened to my voice there. Oh my gosh, it's still happening. 
Okay. And so I was, I, I started, when I was driving around, I know I was, I was driving while intoxicated, sue me, sorry. Um, I don't recommend it. Obviously not. It's stupid. I was a stupid kid. Anyways, so I was driving around and I was with my buddies and I, I was convinced that everyone, like literally everyone in the road was following me with some kind of ulterior motive of why they were in their car. Like, for example, I remember there was a car turning like maybe like half a kilometer up the road and it was probably just on its phone or something, waited for me to pass and it turned like the same direction I was going and I was convinced they were waiting for me to pass. That went on for a long time. But anyway, so that night, day turned into night and um, it was about like whatever, maybe 3 a.m. and I was like, okay, I got to go home. Like this, I should be tired. Go home. Excuse me. I couldn't sleep. So I couldn't sleep. And um, this kind of went on for like five days. It was on a, a stretch of work where I was off for six days. Thank God. Um, but by the time I was ready to go back to work, I was sleep deprived and I was still kind of coming off this um, high. So anyways, this um, this paranoia didn't really go away. It actually kind of got gradually worse. Um the more I would smoke weed, um, in my head, I was telling myself that it would help me calm down. But looking back, I know now that it actually heightened my paranoid state. So I was supposed to go to work. I can remember for the next, like maybe six months, I guess. Um, it was kind of getting worse progressively where I got to a point where I was convinced that everyone at work was kind of like trying to set me up to hurt myself at work where I was working in like a high paced, uh, factory type environment printing. And, um, I had, there was no real reason for me to think this, but I was convinced and I was convinced that everyone was out to get me and kind of in on this huge conspiracy against me. Um, so it, it became really stressful for me to go back and forth to work. And I was convinced that I had to keep like my, my head on a swivel for people, um, out to get me. And this, uh, this wasn't just at work. This was happening. This was at home and driving, um, the, the paranoia around people on the road to get me or whatever. Um, that was still alive. That was, um, I was convinced every day that everybody on the road was, um, like taking tabs on me or I didn't really know what was happening, but I, I was convinced it was all about me. And so, this one, I remember I had to do a, a hospital visit it, visit it, I had to do a hospital visit it, I had to do a hospital visit, and um, I can remember um, there was a guy in the waiting room with me on the phone, and he was talking, and he was saying stuff like, oh yeah, he's right here, uh, he's about to go in, uh, uh, hang on, I'll just check in with him, and he goes, Sean, and it freaked me out. And so obviously I ignored this guy. I was convinced he was like part of this huge conspiracy against me. So um, now there was a couple different incidents like this where looking back could have been completely fabricated by my own brain. Um, and so looking back, I'm not convinced if that actually happened or I imagined it. But anyways, so flash forward, uh, I started losing a lot of sleep, um, maybe seven months in to this. Um, 
and I didn't realize, but like I was, I was living in a psychosis at this point where I was losing sleep when I got sleep and my nightly routine became me like kind of going around the house, doing a quick check outside. And I became convinced that I had to lock my bedroom door. Like I was convinced my mom was like giving me drugs at night. I don't know why. Um, I was convinced that um, my food was being like poisoned. And I, I've talked to people who've experienced um, drug-induced psychosis, and th- these these are kind of um, common themes, I guess, that people kind of freak out about. I had a good friend that I met coming back into recovery this time, who's no longer with us, rest in peace. Um, but he uh, he he. He was in a, a big drug-induced psychosis. His drug of choice was meth, so I can only imagine how long he, he was living like this for. Because, thankfully for me, I only did it once. Um, but like, the, he could have been living like this for years. But he he had very similar experiences. So this got to a point, um, probably like eight months later, where I was very scared to go to work and to drive anywhere and to leave the house. And my, uh, my mom started noticing, like I was really not behaving myself. I was, um, being really sketchy around the house. Like, I don't know. I was freaking out about things and it was, she noticed and she tried asking like, like what's going on. She didn't really know how to talk to. So she got a hold of somebody at um, the hospital that we lived close by that kind of dealt with these, um, mental issues, not knowing what I was going through. Cause I was very close off. I was scared that if I told her anything that like she was part of the conspiracy and they would have more <laughs> intel on me. <laughs> so, um, I, I think about maybe, maybe around that. It was, so this was coming to June, 2015, June, 2015. Yeah. And, um, I, I had, I completely broke down. I was, I was uh, freaking out. I was scared. And, um, I was convinced people were out to get me. So I told my mom that she said, listen, like I can tell something's going on. We're going to take you to the hospital and we're going to let you figure it out there. So we went and this is when shit kind of got really real for me. Um, cause I, I got admitted involuntarily. So under the mental health act in Ontario, people can be admitted to a hospital for two reasons. Um, ones that, uh, mean like your symptoms of your mental, whatever that you're having, uh, if it's a disorder condition, make it likely that you're going to harm yourself or somebody else. And also that, um, you need to be detained in a facility to like receive treatment for an ongoing condition. And because my mom had called maybe like a month prior concern about them. And I had been, um, I think called from a counselor, to be advised that like she wanted me to come in for therapy. And I was like, not about it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to open up to some lady when I'm convinced everybody's out to get me. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> And it was a stranger. I didn't even know this person calling me. So anyways, um, I am getting formed, which is a form three, sorry, in Ontario. That's what it's called when you, you go to the hospital, um, for a psychiatric, like, analysis where you can't leave. So I was stuck there. I think 72 hours you get stuck there. This time was a blur, but I can remember various things. Like one of the weirdest things ever happened to me there. So I think I was, um, after I was in the merge and moved up, I think like maybe my second day or something, um, this guy got admitted, right? So my name, my name's, um, 
Oh, maybe I shouldn't say. Okay, anyway, I shouldn't say. I don't want to give this guy out in case <laughs> for whatever reason. Anyways, so this guy gets admitted with a very similar name as mine. Like it rhymed and had the same syllables. And I heard him talking to, I heard his name get called out from my room. And I was like, it completely piqued my interest. So I got up and I went out and I started seeing this guy. And very weird things were happening. So you got to remember that my main concern was that like the devil was out to get me and there was a huge global conspiracy against me that kind of went along the lines with that theme. So I didn't say any of this to the emergent nurse because I was completely worried that they were like really going to think I was off my rocker. So what I said was that I was convinced people were out to get me not far from the truth. It was true. So, um, I get, I get admitted under that premise. And so go back to a bit, a couple days later, this guy gets admitted, very similar name as mine. Um, and if that kind of freaked me out, I was like, okay, this is like one of those signs. I was getting signs all the time. <laughs> like, And um, so I go and literally it was super weird. The first thing he said to me was like, I know the devil, and I know she watches from a spaceship, and I know her personally. I'm also friends of Donald Trump, and he watches the shit flow down the river. And this, I, I was like, okay, this is fucked up. It was too much for me to handle. I went back to my room, and uh, I was just, like, praying, man. Like, that was the only thing that got me through this, uh, this psych stay. Uh, I think I had my phone, and I was, I don't know, I was kind of convinced I was at the end of my life, to be honest. And so a lot of these, uh, I, I spent a lot of that time in the hospital, like kind of reaching out to friends that I, um, like I felt like I wronged in addiction like years prior. And so I know a lot of people that were like, what's going on? Like, why are you saying these things? I mean, like this was years ago. Like, I don't even remember this anymore. Why are you still thinking about it? And, um, I didn't want to explain anything to them. So I didn't, um, so this guy that had a similar name to mine, like that was really weird. And I can remember, I don't know if I knew them, but there was like a girl in the unit too. And she was like, Hey Sean, how's it going? And I was just like, I don't know who you are. Back off lady. I'm not trying to be part of your conspiracy cult or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, this is the weirdest time of my life by the, by the way. Um, and I was, I was still very scared at this point. So it's weird. Like there was these like archetypes of people in the ward with me and um, it was weird. Like in my head, everybody kind of represented somebody. Like there was a guy who I was convinced was from the mafia and there was a guy I was convinced was from the CIA and there was a guy I was convinced was like from the devil that I was just talking about. And there was a guy I was convinced he was from like some like church organization and they were all like either trying to help me or like get at me or they all had their own weird agenda and honestly there's no logic to any of this that was happening in my head it was just what it was like I was there was a night shift where I I was convinced I saw my mom in there like my mom wasn't there you know what I mean like it it was just it, it was a strange thing to go through and um so so anyways I uh I'm I 
they, they want me to take meds, obviously, from what I'm going through. I can remember I had my very first like panic, panic attack thinking that if I didn't take them, I was going to get strapped down and like injected with whatever kind of medicine they wanted me to take, which was a very scary thought. Um, so there was a, a, a guy, I kind of had a roommate and this was the guy I was convinced was from the mafia. And he said, uh, <laughs> so he said that his, his, he was telling me about his son and they want him to take these pills and how he turned into a vegetable. And he's like, don't take the pills, man, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was already kind of worried about taking the pills because in the back of my head, I was like, I don't want this to be the only way that I become functioning and normal. And then I have to depend on these drugs to be that way. Um, because I, I have an aunt who, who kind of requires that in her life. And I, I just didn't, and now anytime she's not on her medicine, like she's crazy, like off her rocker. She is. And I didn't want to be like that. So I, I can, I, I like pretended to take these and convinced they were and but my my behavior and like thinking was getting better because I was finally like not doing drugs right I I wasn't smoking I wasn't doing drugs I was getting clean and in my head I knew that I needed to do that and I didn't need these whatever they were trying to give me so I I pretended to take them I spat them out and then the next day they're like oh well we see improvement and by they I mean like the psychiatrists and psychologists that were studying me from whatever monitors (laughs) monitors <laughs> they were watching me from and my daily reports and stuff so anyways uh, they gave me these one day and they're they're like okay positive whatever and they're like hey you can get him to um get, get ready to leave so i ended up leaving and i was slowly like very slowly becoming to become more mentally stable and um I went about a month um without smoking any weed or doing any drugs or drinking which was recommended because um, they gave me like these pills to go and they're like, well, don't be doing any drugs with them. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, things were starting to get really better. And then about a month goes by and I, I go to visit this guy in Barrie and I was, can, I told myself, I was like, I'm not going to do any drugs, but I, like, this is like one of my only friends that I had. And um, I get there and it, I ended up smoking weed because I'm a, I'm a drug addict and I couldn't just hang around with it and not be like a month in, like that's pretty fresh. Like that's fresh. So, um, yeah. So I ended up smoking some weed and this just sent me back like two months, like mentally. And I was instantly in this paranoid state. And now my friends I was with was in, were in on it. And, um, I could like, I th- I thought like I knew what my mom was thinking or whatever. Like it was, it was messed up. Like, you know what it felt like if you've made it to this far in this episode, I wish I started with this being in a drug induced psychosis is like the Truman show. That movie with Jim Carrey, where he finds out that everybody knows he's on like on a TV show and he's the only one who doesn't know. That's what it was like for me. And that was scary. Um, so now I'm in the middle of Barry freaking out and <laughs> no car. Um, cause I drove, I drove there with a friend, which is stupid. Like if you're ever like putting yourself in an issue or a situation with drugs, you don't want to know what you are like, you don't know what the outcome might be. 
that's one of my things that I have to do is always have my own vehicle so I can just dip when I want. No pressure on anyone else. So I call my grandpa, call my dad, my, like my grandpa, like if you know my grandpa, I don't talk about drugs with my grandpa. That's not one thing I do, but I call him and I'm like, Hey man, like I'm really stoned. I need to get out of here. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm coming, man. And then I hang up and I'm like, man, I don't want my grandpa picking me up like this. So I called my dad, told grandpa not to come. Dad comes. He's kind of pissed off. I think he's got like work the next day or something. So he picks me up. Not happy. Um, I go home, isolate for like, I don't know, a couple days. And uh, then I, I get a bit of a tolerance back. But um, then I, I do like another year, actually, yeah, a year in that kind of paranoid psych- like psychosis for until um, June 2016. But I, I thought if I changed work crews, um, I could I could like maintain or I get because I was I was worried everyone at work was in on this thing and I was like oh if I go to a new crew that I won't feel like that so I changed crews and uh same thing like it was actually even worse when I I changed crews and um so that kind of it it progressed it wasn't always as bad but I was definitely in that state of um psychosis for another year um it got really bad, probably May, June, maybe um, the beginning of May, end of April in 2016. It got really bad again. And um, what happened in 2015, sorry, when I went to the psych ward was I had my insurance company, they, they gave me short-term disability leave to go get some help. And I think I had about maybe two months off. And well, when this happened again in 2016, my mom started realizing also again, like, okay, he's acting and behaving the same way. Like now I'm worried. And, uh, I noticed it too this time because it was something I experienced this, like this heightened level of psychosis. I was probably operating at like a 60% level of psychosis. And this ramped up to like 90 to hundred percent, um, at the end of April, beginning of May. And so, um, yeah, I uh, same thing. I I started losing sleep. I started um, being con- convinced people were all driving around out to get me, which never really left. It was just that like I thought something was going to happen or something. Um, so this went on till June, June twenty third, twenty sixteen, um, where I, I I just took time off. I um, I couldn't really handle being at work again. So I took time off and my mother had realized I was starting to behave a certain way. So um, she reached out to that same uh, social worker who she was trying to get me me help with um, before. And at this point, I was kind of ready. I was I was scared again and I didn't want to go back um, to the hospital because I was worried they were going to give me some kind of like permanent diagnosis where I wouldn't be able to um live my life regularly. So I made an appointment with the, uh, the psychologist at the hospital and, um, the social worker out of a, a clinic in a nearby town. And I started seeing her and she recommended that I take time off work and go back to rehab because I was still at this point, I wasn't doing any, any crazy hard drugs anymore. I was just smoking weed now, but, um, it was, uh, 
it was definitely affecting my mental state. It was putting me into this constant state of psychosis, which really wouldn't have happened if I ever smoked meth. So I started seeing her and I take some time off work and I get signed up to go to a rehab, but this wasn't until February. And so it's June now, remember in 2016 and I couldn't get to um, rehab till February. So when I initially applied um, to go off work with short-term disability this time, I I was denied. And I can remember talking to the lady and she said to like, to me over the phone, um, no, we're not going to approve you because um, we think you just want time off work. Like this was the same time as last year, which was kind of weird thinking about it, that it was like a year apart. But um, so they they denied me, so I I fought it obviously, and I was I was I was determined because um, I was I was scared and convinced that this was like it, like these guys were out to get me and they were going to get me. So um, the time came where I had to make my mind up, and I was like, you know what, I'm choosing recovery, and I had a lot of catching up to do. I had a lot of uh, fear and doubts and stuff because. Now I'm what I think I'm 26 in 2016, and um, and I hadn't tried to get clean really, like really tried. I guess since I was like 18, so I had all this doubt and anxiety about it, but uh, I was ready to try because I knew I made it a month a year before, and. Um, there's no way I wanted to keep living like that. So I did. I was too scared to go and go to meetings and open up because I was still convinced people were like out to get me and stuff. So I didn't go to any meetings for the first three months. I um, I just, I, I saw my social worker on a weekly and then bi-weekly basis. I signed up for um, this group. It was, What was the group? It was a, like a wellness recovery action plan for very, various um, um, diagnosis or conditions where um, people were manic or in a psychosis like me or any kind of situation that required them to have a plan when they became in a heightened state. So I did this actually in 2015 and then I revisited the group and did it again in 2016 because clearly the first time it didn't work. <laughs> so, um, but it was good. It, it, it kind of like mapped out a plan. Like when you become in crisis, what, what do you need from people? What do you need to do? Um, but 2016, June 23rd, that's when I um, that's when I stopped and made all these decisions. And actually, at the time, I was so like I was so concerned about everything being entered into my system. Like, I went vegan. I stopped eating oil and salt and sugar, and I stopped smoking cigarettes at the time. And I really overwhelmed my body, where I I broke out in these hives. And because I had these hives, I didn't equate it to um, my diet. I just was convinced yet again that people were doing something to me. So I actually was convinced people were like rubbing their dirty socks on my work uniform. And that was like the last week at work. So I actually quit um, everything, probably one of my last days at work. And um, yeah, so I go to the, uh, I go to the dermatologist now and I'm like, Hey, like, can you explain this? Like, I think I have ringworm. (laughs) And the first thing he asked me, he's like, did you make any major changes to your diet? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, that's what it is. And I was like, okay, so this guy's in on it. He already knows. <laughs> but whatever. So I I, uh, I went with that. 
and uh, start. Anyways, I started seeing the social worker weekly and then biweekly, and then about um, sometime after three months of not being on drugs, I was like, hey, like I think I'm ready to start being around people again. And so I started going back to Narcotics Anonymous meetings. <clears throat> and um, I guess this would have been around uh, June, July, August, September. Yeah, September. And then uh, I had to wait a bit longer till February to get um, to get into a rehab. So I was still convinced. I wasn't really opening up to people. And I was very cautious of when I did what I was saying. So I wasn't trying to get myself into trouble for, I don't even know what, but, uh, anyways, yeah, I was, and then slowly when I started trusting people like that, um, psychosis or the paranoia in the psychosis kind of started to go away very, very slowly, um, until I got into that rehab in February. And I mentioned in the first episode, if you listened that this wasn't a place for me, like people were still doing drugs. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to take it seriously. And by the time I got in, I was already seven months clean. Still very paranoid though. And this all ended actually when I was at this rehab before I left. Um, I, so I went to bed one night and this was a really weird moment actually. I, uh, I went to bed and I had this dream, right? And I can't remember too much about this dream, but I remember there was a really bright white light. <laughs> this sounds so cliche too, and I'm not making this up. But I was, I was, I was dreaming, and this white bright light. I was speaking about something with it, and um, it it went right through me, right through my heart, right through my chest area, and um, and then something happened. I woke up that morning, and literally, like ninety. 90 to 95% of my paranoia was just gone. And I was, something happened. And I was like, you know what? Um, I tried telling people about it and they were like, yeah, you're crazy. Cool. And I'm like, all right, sweet. Not telling you. And then um, I called my dad. I was like, hey man, like, listen, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I think I'm doing pretty good. And these people aren't taking it seriously. And I just want to go home. So I went home and you know what? Um, it was such a good decision. I started, I kept doing NA meetings. Um, um, and that, I, but I was, I was able to take time off until August. I had to make a decision at August, um, what I was going to do. And, uh, I knew if I went back to work, like it was over, I would have relapsed. So I didn't went to school and, um, yeah, that was kind of the end of my psychosis. Um, when that, when I woke up that day in rehab, um, yeah, so that's my story with living in um, a drug-induced psychosis. Um, there's very, I've heard a lot of similar stories of various themes that I've experienced, um, but I, I wanted to share that and let everyone know kind of what that was like for me. Um, so thank you for listening, and uh, join me next time. I think I'm going to try to get a guest on for next time. All right, have a good one.